Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to our kind of our new raw mobile edition as, we, uh, as we're out and about. This episode, we're bringing back a guest we had on uh, before who had some great content. And he talked about a survey that he had done to illuminate uh, some of the changes that has, have happened in Kickstarter. So I thought I'd have him back. And my guest is James Matthew. James, welcome back to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing flat out awesome. So I appreciate you great. asking. And now all of our listeners know as well. James, we, the last time you were on, we talked about, well, we talked about a lot of things. But one of the things that you have done that I was intrigued by, and one of the reasons I reached back out to you, was this survey that you just conducted. Well, not just conducted. You conducted a while back about Kickstarter and some of the changes that, it, that have happened in it. You want to talk about that? Sure. Um, again, we're trying to... Uh, get back into doing some more Kickstarters this year, and I got several uh, micro games and a, a big game and a couple of medium games. And so I really kind of wanted to see how the landscape has changed since uh, the last time I ran a campaign, which was uh, end of near end of 2014. And doing that, I wanted to make sure I hit on the subjects of, of what Kickstarter has changed since the last time I went there, because when I went there before, you couldn't separate up. Uh, Shipping out from your backer levels, and you couldn't uh, you couldn't do several things, including even refunding somebody. But uh, so Kickstarter is making some progress, and I wanted to know where the backers feel about what the trends are. Okay, let's talk about then some of those changes that you've identified, or some of the questions that you asked. Um, so, what did you start with? So, shipping. You brought up shipping. Shipping's always been an issue. Um, just for our listeners who maybe didn't catch the episode you were on before, you are a board game store owner, a board game co- publishing company owner, a uh, person involved in the board game industry at all levels. You blog at jamesmathy.com extensively, where you've sh- shared your survey results. And you reached out to who did you ask? Who 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 did the survey? So- I, I try not to just ask my backers, so I specifically didn't actually mail my uh, large backer list. What I did is I kind of posted in social media, Twitter, Facebook, and whatnot, um, and then asked some people to share it. And then um, one one blog or two also shared it, so we got some good outside information. So what ended up happening is we surveyed about 700 people uh, that are not just Minion Games backers about the different things they felt and their impressions on how to do things. Okay, so and I think the number you um, it was about seven hundred back uh, seven hundred people who had backed Kickstarter projects, right? Okay, and the first thing that you have talked about and that seems to be a significant change is this idea of shipping, which has been a dilemma, particularly in the category of tabletop board games, because it it's one of the biggest costs associated with any Kickstarter project in tabletop, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different issues going on there, and, and there are people that have missed. Uh, misestimated their shipping or once they've added a bunch of their stretch goals all of a sudden they added to another pound of their shipping and they lose thousands of dollars just on the lack of having the right amount of shipping charged uh prior to this change you could only charge through the reward level uh so it was always a bundled amount and then uh, you couldn't charge anything different for different countries so if you're shipping to australia you have to kind of guess at what that number is and but somebody might want it over in uh China, and you don't know if you should charge them the same amount. So it was confusing. So it was a nice little addition by Kickstarter to have this ability to charge out separately. Um, it still has the major flaw of it still counts towards your overall funding goal. So if you all of a sudden have a ton of people that are backing you overseas, that actually inflates the true number you earned 
it makes your funding goal hit quicker, even though you actually earned less money to produce your game. Right, because all that money is going um, yeah. right towards the vaster funding level. Which you know, I, if I collected fifty dollars worth of shipping from somebody, that Kickstarter thinks that's fifty dollars towards my campaign, which really it isn't. But you still have to pay. Yeah, you have to pay that. Yeah, I still have to pay my ten percent to Kickstarter, and I'm fine with that. But they should still separate out the uh, shipping. So what uh, have they done different then? So what they actually did was is, was add, like I said, added this way for uh, uh, Kickstarter creators to separate out each country to charge a different pricing level for each country. And I thought, you know, on the on the surface, that sounds awesome, and I tried to use it a little bit. Um, but I've been hearing a lot of flack in the last six months about people being surprised after they click the reward level that, oh, i got to pay shipping too. And it's like, well, that was always obvious before. It was, in, it was just bundled in before. Um, and then there's some people that will have a reward level that will say, you know, here, get our game for, for $25. And then it doesn't say anything about shipping. They click it, and then all of a sudden they got to pay $15 shipping. And many people are just saying, well, screw this. I'm not going to do it. And they back out right then and there. And so I wanted to try to ask some questions that kind of gauged what level uh, people are, are making that decision at. And so I asked like three questions. One was for like a very cheap product, uh, only a $20 game. And if you're going to, would you rather see it listed as a $15 game with a $5 ship being charged at the checkout? Or would you rather just see it say $20 buy it, get this game for free? And, shipping. and what were the results? What did they say? So the, the overwhelming amount of people said that they want for small products to have it just be a flat-out $20, get the game shipped for free and then, uh, on the reward level, and they don't want to have the extra hassle. So there's, there's a lot of that mentality of, you know, of an impulse buy there. You want to just have one click, and you want to have a lot of questions afterwards. You want to commit and just get that out of the way since it's not such a large amount of money. But what we saw was about, like, 77% of the people would prefer to just see the uh, amount bundled in. Uh then when we went to a product that was actually like $80 reward level, uh, where the game might be $65 and the product is like $15. The shipping uh, is $15. Yeah, the fish, I'm sorry. The shipping would be $15. Uh, then we saw a big shift towards people who were more willing to want to see the actual game costs so that maybe that would be easier to push the you know, back button because the even though it's an expensive item, they weren't slapped with the whole total expense up front. Um, and then maybe on the back end, they could, they could rationalize the $15 shipping. Um, and there was about 56 people that said, the 56% of the people said they would like to see the uh, $80 up front, but the amount of people that were okay with shipping being charged on the back end went up to 27% instead of 17%. So uh, it, not, not overwhelmingly different. It still seems from this uh, survey that we want to put the shipping and the rewards like the old way was done because people are tired of being surprised with shipping on the back end. And this shipping thing in tabletop game category has just really been probably one of the single biggest issues. It is. I don't even know the answers to it. I, I've given up on some of the uh, Euro shipping. I just charge actual shipping. Since I'm in distribution, I get put in stores all over the world anyway, so I'll just charge actual shipping and give everybody a $10 discount. No matter where you live, you get $10 off. Because it's, it's, it's just easier than... Because it is so complex. Because shipping yeah. to Singapore or to Malaysia or to Australia versus Germany or Alabama or Canada, I mean, it's just, it's all over the map. Oh, it's, it's it? a nightmare. And when I tried to do what they call EU friendly, which means you're, I mean, there's two things about EU friendly. One is you're giving them a, a reasonable shipping price, but the second thing is, is trying to avoid the VAT charges. Um, and when we ship stuff directly to EU, that means we had to have a separate large shipment, and then we had to pay a separate trucker, then we had to pay a warehouse over there, we had to pay the VAT ourselves instead of the retail. 
instead of the uh, uh, end customer paying it. Um, and then we had to pay somebody else to pick it. We had to pay packing material. It ended up being just as costly to have it or maybe a little bit of savings, but I was actually paying the bat instead of the end customer. So it ended up costing us more to do it that way to make it EU friendly. And when I, when I did my last two campaigns, I said, you know, I'm just going to do dirt simple campaigns and we're just going to charge actual shipping. And I know I'm going to lose some backers, but we're in distribution. If you want our game, you'll just get it a month later at a store near you. And I'm fine with that. Uh, and we found out we only lost about 10% of the people who backed us normally. So it didn't hurt us that much. I know we're a well-known company with a good sure, track. Sure, you've got, yeah, so. and uh, yes, you have a reputation and people know and they like your games. But I spent weeks doing the logistics for shipping and headaches and dealing with, and I still ended up having to send a lot of stuff from the U.S., like promo cards and things that didn't they didn't have enough of. And it's like, in the end, it just wasn't worth the hassle. I'd rather just lose the 10% up front and let retailers sell it. Got it. All right. Uh, that was the shipping. Uh, again, we could probably do a, a series of episodes just around that. What about uh, the, the next thing you have listed is mailings. What's that one about? Okay, so a new trend in, in – or I don't know if it's a trend, but a new uh, emerging industry is uh, companies that are trying to, I don't know, uh, yes. milk off the top of, of Kickstarter success. So – vast majority of them are just spam or are just uh, scams that are, are trying to get your money. Uh, and since you're running a, a Kickstarter, you're all excited about this is going to be a success. I'll throw some money. I have to throw some money in advertising. Therefore, hey, I'll give you some of my money. And, and they turn around and do absolutely nothing for you, but they took your money because uh, they're, they're preying on your excitement of, of, of owning a product. Um, so a couple of those, though, actually do have some value. One of those is campaign managers, and the other one is uh, – services that help you with mailing um, to your uh, customer base. Um, one of them called Prefundia. Prefundia. Yep. Prefundia. yep. <clears throat> uh, has taken an approach where you can design your Kickstarter page on its site and then start inviting people to check it out there and join their mailing list underneath uh, your campaign to get reminded when the launch day occurs. And so the concept is, is that on launch day, they're going to just mail a ton of people about your stuff. Uh, and I've been arguing with some people online about this, and so, I mean, it's not set in stone, but what my guess was basically that what you're doing is you're just funneling your marketing to their site, getting them people to to back your product there or, or sign up as a reminder. And then at the end, they just funnel maybe a couple of people of their own your way, but you're mostly getting rewards from your own marketing efforts. And um, I was arguing with somebody about that. They said that Prefundia did awesome for them. They brought them a ton of people, and they wouldn't have funded properly without Prefundia. And I was like, you know, I think it was mostly your pre-marketing that was a success. It's just you have to use Prefundia. Because what you're arguing is, and I think I understand what you're saying. You're saying, look, you set up the Prefundia site, and then that person went out and drove a lot of traffic to Prefundia. Correct. Prefundia didn't bring it in. And then what Prefundia did was just like, oh, thank you for helping us build our email list. And we used that email list that you helped us build to remind everybody to go back your project. Right. So they, they, they provided a service in that they've provided a mailing list. Um, but you can get that elsewhere and you can do it yourself. But they provided um, a mailing list of your contacts. Pretty much. So there is some organic activity going on there. Um, so I wanted to find out how, well, how much. Um, and so I did this little survey and I said, you know, would you, would you want to uh, be notified about our product by either sending Minion Games a direct, uh, uh, sending them your email address, so we'd add you to our mailing list with just us, so you're only giving us your information? Or Kickstarter added a new 
remind me button on on their preview pages so if before you launch a Kickstarter you can actually go and spread a preview link around so people can actually look at your page on Kickstarter so that's pretty much what Profundia does so it kind of sounded odd that Profundia was uh, doing almost the same exact thing as a is a is the uh, early uh, sure. pre-release of the Kickstarter was so then also you could sign up with a third party and, and do this Profundia I think there's one called Launch Rock and there might be some others out there and, and my survey showed is that a, a huge, I mean, it was less than 1% of the people that were being willing to give Profundia their email address. They want, uh, I think it was 42% that said they'd rather just give me my, their email directly and I can notify them when we launch. Uh, there was a good sizable amount of people, like 32% that said that uh, they'd rather just click the remind me button on Kickstarter and be notified when it launches. Um, but uh, I mean, it was a, a fair amount of you know 25% or so that just didn't really care. But a huge landslide for not giving their email to some third-party site because people are really a little bit leery of third-party sites. Got it. So, so to me, that validated the fact that I don't want to be promoting Prefundia or that page. I don't want to send my marketing funneling through there. I want to get it to myself and then still have a Prefundia page, but I'll just use that to get the whatever organic uh, referrals they can provide me. Got it. And and then, and and we're not knocking Prefundia, but you're just talking about these pre these pre sites, these setup. Yeah, Prefundia is the big one. That is the big one. And I might just you uh, know what I think I will reach out. I think it'd be great to have them on the show and talk about kind of some of the the add on value. That sure, I'm sure they have some value. I just you know I I'm um, I also know that my backers don't want to give them their email addresses if they don't have to. So. Got it. So the next one was campaign managers, and you just mentioned it briefly, but I'm not sure I quite understand. Oh, wait a minute. This is so there's actually the next section of the survey was about campaign managers. Um, right. And what a campaign manager basically is, 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 is a tool by a third party that helps you manage your post-Kickstarter uh, uh, rewards, shipping, uh, choices for what colors you want of things, uh, add-ons, stuff like that. But one of the cute things about, or cute things, but one of the good things about a, a campaign manager is that they allow you to purchase more things after the fact. So you know, months down the road, when you might have a little bit of spare cash and you're really excited about this game coming out, you might kick in for you know, hey, I want to upgrade my uh, my uh, cardboard coins in the game to metal coins. Hey, I'll give you another twenty bucks. You know, and that happens. It's it's surprising. I, I I did. Um, I suppose I should use percentages, but I don't have them off the top of my head. But I usually would earn two thousand to three thousand dollars extra sales after Kickstarter, just by allowing people to buy miscellaneous trinkets stuff. And did you ever use it so they could buy a a copy of the uh, Manhattan Project or something yes. like that? Yes. So that's the other trick. Uh, um, you don't want to look like a used salesman on your Kickstarter page, so you only want to offer a couple of things that are very related, very specific. But being that I'm a, a larger company, uh, if that's if that's actually a thing in this industry. <laughs> sure. No, uh, we'll, we'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still small enough that I need Kickstarter. Um, the fact that I could offer them three or four or five of my other titles just as an add-on purchase, at, you know, and since I'm shipping to them anyways, give it to them for a bit of a discount, um, you'd be surprised if people would actually uh, cough up a little bit of money to do that. And, and then these would be at prices that are higher than uh, the deep discounters online, too. So they're, they're trying to show your support and help you out. And there's a lot of people that do that. I mean, the whole concept of Kickstarter was kind of this altruistic thing with uh, arts and, and uh, humanities type stuff. But uh, with board games, a lot of it's uh, pushing more towards pre-ordering and getting your 
product for what you paid and things like that. So it's just nice to see that some people still have a, the ideal of they want to help the publisher be successful. Got it. And so do you, did you use a third-party content manager, excuse me, campaign manager for that? Yeah, we used a backer kit, uh, which is one of the more popular ones. Um, and there's a couple others that I got some of those listed on my blog site. Okay. So, all right, good. And it'd be a good idea to have them come on and talk so about it. So the big question was, you know, we used them in the past. And then our last two campaigns, we said, we're going to do everything dirt simple. And I'm going to assemble and line the games out the door. And I'm going to play games with tossing in all these different little options. Because every option that's different that somebody buys into, that's another separate uh, hassle inside the shipping uh, of that product to the end customer at the end of the day, uh, which slows us way down. We made a big mistake with our coins, and we allowed people to just pick all their different coins, which sounds very logical and easy up front, but what ended up happening is we spent two months hand-picking coin orders. You know, it had to be such a pain in the butt. I bet. Let's <laughs> so talk, yeah, let's, let's the talk idea about was that we were going to have these uh, campaign managers. Are they still using? Do people want to give us more money? Do we? Sure. Are people afraid to give... Uh, the third-party information to campaign managers, um, which I've had people in the past do. And, and the end results kind of were leaning towards the fact that people are much more used to these now. They're more willing to let you, you use a campaign manager. Um, and the second half of the question was, you know, whether they would want to buy more stuff from us. And it was it was very clear, you know, nearly 50% of the people said, yeah, we would like to give you more money for more of your stuff. And I'm like, well, gee, maybe I should start looking at using a campaign manager again, even though I've steered away from it i'm really kind of leaving a lot of money on the table sure. and any smaller publishers or first timers they really need to take it seriously got it all right and then the last piece is on marketing we've only got a couple more minutes here we're about out of time sure and on marketing you asked uh, um, some interesting questions so what what came out of the, the marketing that you found surprising so what i find interesting about this one and it was a little bit surprising to me um there were, there's this thing called early birds, and, and it's something that's been kind of uh, trending uh, on Kickstarter. The, the problem I have with that is, and same with uh, Jamie Stigmeyer, who, who's been on your show before too, and is very well known in the industry. We both agree on this that early birds tend to be more toxic than they are helpful. Uh, the concept behind an early birds is you're going to give somebody a bit of a discount or somebody something special for signing up in the first day or two because you want to get momentum on your campaign early. And that seems all great and logical and everything. The problem is, is that you end up losing people after those first days from people that don't want to miss out on the things that they already missed out on. And um, so we argue a lot about whether early birds are wise or not. And so we did a survey and, and um, it turned out that, uh, oh, actually the survey I asked, so I came up with this idea that, well, let's try to make this not physical and not uh, economical. So maybe they wouldn't be so opposed to these early bird concepts, which are a good idea for driving traffic if it wasn't something tangible. Um, so I said, let's, what about, you know, free, faster shipping the first, uh, people that order. So, uh, Reaper did this with their multiple reward levels. The first wave would ship first, the second wave would ship second. And I'm like, well, gee, how can anybody have a problem with that? Whoever signs up earliest gets shipped first and we'll just do a first wave of shipping. That's all the early birds. And that's what the early bird would be. It was a first wave of shipping. Um, what surprised me was that, uh, uh, a third of the people actually were, uh, not willing to do that. They thought that that was really a turnoff to them. Actually, I'm saying the wrong number. 18% of the people said that they would not back the product at all if they did that. It would turn them off. Yes, yeah. so that's a huge number to turn off that I don't think you can just ignore. So. Sure. And we're out of time. Um, people, if they want to find the survey and look at all the other information, one in particular was where they can 
where uh, awareness is driven for their campaign because you asked that. I think that's a good thing for them to go check it out. Where can they find the survey? Uh, that would be at my jamesmatthew.com site. Uh, it's called uh, Survey Says uh, Kickstarter Usage. James, thank you so much for coming on the show again and talking about this survey. And thank you very much. Um, I'm speaking from the community here for the work that you've done and the contribution that you continue to give back to the community and all that you do. Thank you very much for that. Hey, you're welcome. Okay, you've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been James Matthew. We've been talking about the survey that he conducted on what has been changing in Kickstarter. I think you'll find it very informative. You can find it at jamesmathie.com. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out our Patreon um, account so that you can help support and sponsor the show. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye.